Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones continuing today the Psalm Project. And we are here at Psalm 45. Psalm 45 here in Book 2 of the Book of Psalms. And um, the title suggests that it is about the throne of God. Your throne, O God, is forever. Uh, The title also attributes this song to the sons of Korah, which I have discussed. Um, Many of the Psalms were written by David. Um, Some of them were written by uh, maybe the sons of Korah. Some of them are are anonymous and we don't know who wrote them. Um, There are many authors in the book of Psalms. Uh, Other authors are Moses, uh, Solomon, uh, Asaph, Ethan, uh, there are numerous authors, and here it's the sons of Korah. And as the title suggests, it is a love song. It's a wedding song, to be exact. And there are no other examples of this type of psalm in the entire book of Psalms. Um, the closest parallel are the love poems that you find in the Song of Solomon. In fact, when, when I read this, you will see it sort of reads like something from Song of Solomon, which it's not. It's in the book of Psalms. But this is appropriate for a royal royal wedding, and and it probably was used in royal weddings throughout the history of Israel. Uh, since, Since the Davidic kingship reflects God's ultimate kingship and anticipates Christ as king, this psalm also has a secondary application to Christ, the king and the bridegroom, and the church as his bride. Listen to this from Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. This is one that's very familiar to many people. It's often read at weddings. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Think about this. Marriage is a picture. I'm not saying it's not real. It is very real. But it is a it portrays something even more real, if you will, something more, something eternal. Because it portrays Christ and the church. And so, uh, often I feel like people try to figure out what the Bible says about divorce. What does the Bible say about divorce? And really, we should be looking about what it says about marriage, not about divorce. And there's a lot that the Bible has to say about marriage, far more than divorce. 
And I am not saying there aren't biblical grounds for divorce. There certainly are. Even Jesus himself gave some parameters on that. But grounds for divorce does not mean a mandate. And uh, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And so the Christ-like thing to do in most situations is to forgive, to chase, to love. And that's hard. Love is not something that falls in your lap. It's something that is cultivated. It's something <clears throat> that's intentional. And so uh, this psalm really can be applied to Christ and the church. It's applied to Jesus Christ specifically in Hebrews 1, 8 through 9. Listen to this. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of, of, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, you, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That is specifically from this psalm. So you see that make an appearance in Hebrews 1. So let's get into it. This is a maskil of the sons of Korah, a love song, a wedding song. Here it is, Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and casia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of all the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with, ro wo with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. All right, before I get into the recording of this psalm, um, I want to give you some commentary. This psalm, by the way, uh, is hymnic, like many of them that I've set. Um, however, I am considering going back and maybe setting this in a sort of more of a um, classical choral setting, um, not strophic. Uh, not just through composed, 
uh, from beginning to end to really get the um, the right emotion of this this hymn. It is a great um, psalm that could be used in weddings, and um, it is a wonderful psalm. And like I said, the only one that we see, the only example of this that we see. So let's get into the commentary, and then you'll hear the recording. So the psalmist here begins saying that my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. And it's a theme that this psalmist addresses to the king. And here the messianic king is described. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. This word tongue could mean that this psalm and others were composed orally and then later written down. That, that could be what this is. In verse 2, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. So the poet here takes the bride's part in extolling the beauty of her lover. God has blessed you forever. This language reflects the promises of the Davidic covenant that we see in 2 Samuel 7. David would have a descendant on the throne forever, which is a promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who as the son of David rules from heaven as king and will eternally rule. In verse 4, let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. The Davidic king was the head of the military forces of Israel, ordained by God to fight for the people. And so in this role, the king reflects God's glory. Since the Lord fought on behalf of Israel prior to this psalm, the, the people would have remembered that. And likewise, Jesus Christ leads the church against demonic forces. Listen to this in uh, Ephesians 6:10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil having done all to stand firm. Paul here then lists the um, armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And then he says, pray at all times in the spirit. The point is, spirituality is reality. A lot of people think that spirituality is sort of this fake thing going on, this um, mythical thing going on. But there is literally a spiritual battle taking place every day. In fact, it is more real than the physical realm that we see. That is why Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces. And so the psalmist here discussing the right hand of God or the right hand uh, really relates what is going on to the spiritual reality of spiritual warfare. Jesus Christ leads his army against demonic forces and he will return again to destroy all evil. In Revelation 19, 
11 through 16, it depicts Jesus riding on a white horse victoriously and as the leader of an army of his people. Verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Here is a, a clear identification of the divine king in this psalm, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 7, your God has anointed you. Davidic kings were anointed at their inauguration. You see this in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, where it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. This was a tradition and something that, that was done to the Davidic king. Verse 8. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh, aloes, and casia. And this is a description of the king on his wedding day. Verse 10. Forget your people and your father's house. <laughs> now let's uh, get into this one for a little bit. Just as the bride is exhorted to leave her former family, so the Christian believer breaks every tie to be joined to Christ. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then in Matthew 10.37-38, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. So there is something about abandoning what was prior, previously our most prized, let's say, possessions or people in our lives, abandoning that for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that is not to say that we need to stop loving our families. But I'm amazed at how many Christian Men and women really believe it is okay to love your immediate family more than your spouse after marriage. When you commit to that person for life, that person is your priority. And there may become a there may come a point where you don't like it. <laughs> but to honor God, it is right to cling to that person, to commit to them. To intentionally love them, whether that love is reciprocated or not, whether that love is returned or not, you are called to that person, committed to that person. And so this is a reminder of that. Forget your people. Again, I don't think the psalmist is saying, remove your family from your mind. I don't think the psalmist is saying, just you know, treat them with animosity or anything like that. The psalmist is saying your commitment now is to your spouse, whoever that is. Verse 16. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. The Redeemer King is the divine agent by whom many sons are brought to glory. Hebrews 2.10. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I heard a song a few years ago, and I can't remember what the song was, but it discussed, it said Jesus calling everyone to salvation. That was kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but <clears throat> they mentioned something about Jesus calling everyone, calling all to salvation, and a seminary professor was critiquing the song, and he said, uh, 
many places in Scripture, uh, the Bible says that God has called many to salvation, but it never says he has called all to salvation. And uh, I don't want to get into my Calvinist theology here, but um, God does call many to salvation, but not all, and not all will come to salvation. And then in verse 17, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations, therefore nations will praise you forever. Eternal praise belong to the king of this psalm, who is, as I've said before, the Messiah. So, a great psalm, a great text, a great setting that I, I am confident could still be used in weddings today in some sort of fashion if somebody is interested in using this. So, here is Psalm 45. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
forget your people all Your beauty that is king With great delight we'll see Because he is your Lord Bow down before him reverently Tyre's daughter has arrived A costly gift has now awaits most glorious to behold and woven all throughout her gown are threads of precious gold in her embroidered gown she's taken to the king to you her maiden friends are brought following with gladness they are led as people celebrate they all approach the king with joy with 